Those who are new here to Connect or you're just visiting for the first time today, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to have you here. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those of you who come on a regular basis and know that my name is Dave, um, you'll know if you were here last week that we weren't here, Casey and I. We were actually uh, gone last week celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. We went away for a... Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We went away to the sunshine and we enjoyed celebrating 25 years of uh, wonderful married lives together, hasn't it? It was never a bad moment the whole time. <laughs> She's smiling. Um, you know, it's fun because we actually did get to go to the sunshine and we, uh, we were a little bit nervous. We booked to uh, go to a resort that we'd never been to before. Uh, but when we got there, it was, um, it was beautiful. It was the sun was shining, the ocean was clear. We just had a fantastic time. But it was always, you always get a little bit anxious, don't you, with things like that? Because sometimes uh, in life, expectations don't quite meet reality, do they? Have you ever encountered that in something in your life where you have an expectation of something, but sadly the reality is a little bit different? This can happen a lot when we travel. If you ever follow on Instagram or social media, people who uh, travel, you know, they'll, they'll post these beautiful pictures of places. This is a famous one of the Great Wall of China. And everyone looks and thinking, oh, that'd be incredible. I'd love to go there. And then if you ever do get the chance to go, this is the picture that you end up posting. It looks a lot different. <laughs> The reality, a lot different than the expectation. Here's another one. Uh, maybe some of you parents out there, when the sun starts to shine, your kids are like, Mom, Dad, I want one of those really cool SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles. That would be awesome. That's the expectation. The reality is horrific. This is, <laughs> this is what you end up with. I mean, that, that's the stuff of nightmares right there. Um, and then some of you, maybe in the business world, you've seen this illustration. Uh, it's a great illustration of how expectations expectations move to reality. You, you meet in the boardroom and you start off with this great idea of what the horse is going to look like. And then with each phase of development, it finally arrives at the final product. It looks a lot different than the way it started. Because very often, our expectations are very different than the reality. And the sad thing is that when reality doesn't meet our expectations, we're left with disappointment. When reality doesn't meet our expectations, we are left with disappointment, which isn't the biggest deal in the world when it comes to something like um, the SpongeBob ice cream. But what about when it's something like a relationship? What about when it's something like a, a relationship that you're a part of? How do we navigate disappointment then as a friend, as a parent, as a son or a daughter, as a husband or a wife? You see, the truth is, all of us have experienced disappointments at some time in our lives through relationships. Maybe some of you are even thinking of a relationship right now where, where you had this expectation of where this was going to go and the reality didn't quite match up. Maybe there was a friend that you used to rely on, but somehow that, that connection now seems distant. Maybe your relationship with a sibling feels riddled with conflict, competition instead of closeness and connection. Or maybe your marriage looks nothing like what you imagined it would when you walked down that aisle many years ago. You see, I think all of us long for close, meaningful relationships. And yet so often in life, whatever that relationship may be, reality doesn't meet our expectations and we feel this disappointment. So what do we do when that happens? Well, over the next few weeks, I'm hoping we're going to answer some of those questions as we dive into a series that we've called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. 
emotionally healthy relationships. Through the lens of Scripture, we're going to look at some things that we can do to help strengthen and improve the relationships in our lives. And I emphasize we, things we can do, because isn't it true that very often when there is a, a disconnect in a relationship in our lives, we start to list all the problems that the other person has. Well, things would be a lot better if he just did this. This relationship wouldn't have issues if she just would fix this. And that's the challenge, isn't it, of relationships is very often there's truth to that, but we have no control over the other person in the relationship. We can't fix them. That's up to them. But the truth is, every one of us can take responsibility for some things in our lives, some things in our own situation that we can address. So over the coming weeks, we're going to be asking that question with regards to the relationships in our lives, every single relationship, what can I do? What can I personally do to be a better husband or a wife, a better parent, a better sibling, a better colleague, a better neighbor? Whatever relationship we find ourselves in, what can I do to be the best that I can be? And hopefully as we find the answers to that question, we'll then look for ways to apply them in our lives. Now, it may be that you're here this morning, and we've got some guests because of the baby dedication. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. You're still kind of thinking it through. You've still got some questions. You know, you're not there. I actually find that, he, I actually believe that even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you're gonna find some of what we talk about this morning, the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, to be really helpful in how to navigate the relationships in our lives. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think there's still some great practical advice. But if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I don't think this is negotiable. I don't think this is something we can pick and choose. I think this is something that as followers of Jesus, we should be leading the way in. And this is why, because listen to what Jesus said were the two greatest things that a follower of his should do. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus replied, you, and he's talking to the, the people in the crowd that day, but it applies just as much to us today. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, because this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If I have to sum up everything Jesus says in the Old Testament, all the teachings up to this point, if I had to sum it up into just one phrase, it would be that the mark of a growing follower of Jesus is a deepening love for God and for people. A deepening love for God and for people. So if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, we should be setting the standard. We should be leading the way because of our desire to, to be growing every day in our love for God and our desire to grow in our love for other people, our relationships with others. In their book of the same name, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro say this. They say, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's impossible to be spiritually mature. It's impossible to grow as a Jesus follower if you're not also looking at the emotional, the relationships in your life and looking to grow in those areas as well. And the truth is, I believe that there are people outside of the church who are desperate to discover what it looks like to have an emotionally healthy relationship with their spouse, with their kids, with their colleagues at work, with their friends. 
And we have the opportunity to show what that looks like thanks to our faith in Jesus. Not that we've perfected it, but that we are striving to grow in this area of our life because we recognize that that this emotional element of our lives is tied to the spiritual element of our lives. The way we relate to one another is tied to the way we relate to God. The two cannot be separated. So this morning, I want to tackle the first element that I think will help you uh, in your relationships, help you handle correctly and bring life to a relationship And that is words. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at four very practical things within relationships. But the first one we wanna look at this morning is words. Listen to what James, James was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote a letter in the New Testament. And uh, he said this when when talking about words, speaking about our tongue. James 3, seven through 10. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. No, James, it's not right. As followers of Jesus, we've, we've spent some time this morning singing to God how wonderful we think he is, praising his name. And yet we may find ourselves just driving home today and that guy cuts us off and, and other words come out of that same mouth. And James is saying, that's not right. So here's a couple of interesting thoughts I had this week just about the idea of words in general and, and how we find ourselves in the place that we find ourselves in this morning, how, how oftentimes words can be a, a, a minefield in the area of relationships. The first thought I had is we are using more words than ever before. We are using more words than ever before by a lot. In 2020, it was estimated that people all over the world on average, sent 306 billion emails, sent four and a half trillion text messages, sent 500 million tweets per day. Every day, that's how many messages were being sent. That's a lot of words. A lot more than used to be before technology got to where it is today. So we're using more words than ever before, but not just that, we're thinking less about our words than ever before. Isn't that true? We're thinking less about our words than ever before. Now, some of you here this morning, I'm looking around, I'm seeing some younger faces here this morning. Some of you will find this hard to believe, but there was a time, there was a time back in the 1900s before texts and emails when we would write letters to one another. We wrote letters to one another. It's crazy, right? We'd dip a feather into a small jar of ink. We'd write on parchments. We'd roll those up and a bird would come and it would carry it. (laughs) I know, to some of you, it may as well have been like that because it just seems so middle ages to write a letter. But we, we used a pen and a paper and we had an envelope and a stamp and we would write a letter to a friend. I did this a lot when I first moved to America because my friends were back in England. I wrote letters. And when you write a letter, you choose very carefully 
the words that you're going to use. When sharing ideas with our neighbours or people in our community back in the day, the only option we had was to talk face to face. If we wanted to talk to our neighbours and our friends locally, the only option we had was to talk face to face. So as a result, we would choose our words carefully. But now, now if you want to communicate with people in your community, you don't need to do it face to face. You can do it on Facebook. (laughs) It's a brand new way of speaking to people in our community. And I'm not sure that we're choosing our words as carefully on Facebook as we do face to face. I came across a story just this week of a lady and... um, She moved into this brand new subdivision. They were building the houses and she was one of the first three families to move into this subdivision as the houses were still being built around her. So she was pretty excited because she knew this whole community was growing. So she thought, I'm going to set up a Facebook community group for our neighborhood. And at first it was great. But the more it grew, the more people got added. And suddenly there were hundreds of people on this group. And listen to, this this is her description of how it went. Things moved along fairly smoothly. Then someone posted about dog poop. Seriously. Basically, the post was something like, please pick up dog poop. Within about 20 minutes, the 40 replies went from free bags at the head of the trail to dog owners are idiots. Negative, sarcastic, mean comments spewed out of my neighbor's mouths. I reminded the posters of rule number three, only post what you'd say to someone face to face. Eventually, I ended up deleting the entire post. It was serving no purpose and causing divisiveness. Wouldn't it be great if, as I read that, you could think, wow, that's crazy. I'm glad that doesn't happen around here. (laughs) But I think we've all read comments like that. And it's because not only are we using more words than ever before, we're thinking less about the words that we use than ever before. This is thousands of years old, but listen to what a man by the name of Solomon wrote. He was one of the wisest people ever to have lived, and he wrote this in a book in the Bible called Proverbs. He says, the tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Those who love to talk, I think we all love to talk, those who love to talk will reap the consequences, either death or life, depending on what words come out of your mouth. I believe that if we want to maintain emotionally healthy relationships, we've got to remember that words have power. Words have power. Whether it's face-to-face or in an online post, whether it's written down on a card or in a text or an email, words have power. Back in the beginning, the creation story, we learned that that God, the narrative of God creating the universe was that God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke creation into being. When Jesus was alive, we read about these amazing miracles that he performed, and many of the miracles were as a result of words he spoke. Pick up your mats and walk. Go and sin no more. He spoke to the wind and the waves, and they were calm. I believe that we are made in the image of God. And as a result, our words also carry great power. I mean, think about it. Some of our greatest memories are words that people have spoken over us. 
I bet if I thought, if you thought about it this morning, you could think of some words or phrases from years ago that still mean a lot to you because of the power of what was said and who said it. Just recently, my son, uh, who was a former student of Washington Community High School, he's in college now, but he was asked to share a story at the celebration of life for a lady named Mrs. Fuller. Mrs. Fuller was a wonderful lady. She was a teacher here in our community, a teacher at the high school, a Spanish teacher. And sadly, uh, several years ago, she found out that she had a, a brain tumor. And just recently, she passed away. And Mrs. Fuller's husband said, Ben, would you come and, and share a story on behalf of the student body? I know you loved her as a teacher. Would you come and talk about your relationship with her on behalf of all the students at the high school? Ben talked about the first time that he was in her classroom. He said he blurted out an answer to a question. She said, you will succeed in my class. And that was the story he told. It was seven years ago that that happened, but he could still quote those six words that Mrs. Fuller spoke over him in that classroom that day. In the service, he said, looking back on it now, I believe that was the day that I fell in love with Spanish. Just six short words that Mrs. Fuller said to Ben, and he just came alive. Because words have power. This teacher acknowledging Ben, saying that to Ben, just, just they have power. Sadly, though, some of us could also tell stories of how our deepest wounds are tied to words that were spoken over us. Our words have power. Our words won't create galaxies, but our words, as Solomon said, have the power of life and death. Isn't it crazy that you can't remember words you spoke five minutes ago, but you'll remember something that someone said to you five years ago, either because of how great it made you feel or how it destroyed you. And because we are using more words than ever before, thinking less about the words we choose, we are in danger as followers of Jesus of undermining what we as the church should be known for. If anyone in our community should be known for this, it's, it's followers of Jesus, that we are a people who love God and love people. So I wanna give you one practical idea this morning, one practical takeaway that I'm hoping, if you're, if you're serious about seeing some of your relationships grow in their emotional health, if you're serious about maybe trying to address the words in your life, there's one practical idea that might help you, and that is, let's get the ratio right. Let's get the ratio right. What do I mean by that? Several years ago, uh, the Harvard Business Review uh, conducted a, um, uh, they published an article that reported a study that they'd done just about words in general. Their team had studied several different areas of life, and this is the conclusions they came to. Part of the team looked at the works of a guy called Dr. John Gottman. He's a marriage and relationship specialist. And in his years of study and marriages, he had determined that it took five positive words to balance out one negative word for that relationship to remain healthy. They studied businesses. They discovered that the five to one positive words versus negative words ratio is what made the workplace team the most productive and successful. They looked at parenting. They found the same results. Studies had found that to maximize a child's motivation and security and self-esteem, that child needs to hear five positive words for every negative word. It wasn't a one-to-one -one ratio. And we know that to be true, don't we? 
You could have five people tell you they love that new outfit you're wearing. And one person tells you don't, don't like it. Which one do you remember? <laughs> we focus in on the negative, don't we? That's why there's that five to one ratio. This morning we prayed with three amazing families here and joined them in saying, we, we, we recognize that you're embarking on about a 20-year journey here that will be the most rewarding and terrifying journey you've ever been on. All of the parents and grandparents here this morning, we know how rewarding it is to raise kids, to see them grow and change and develop in our family. But we also know that, that burden, that fear of like, man, this is all on me. I, the way I parent my child could determine the outcome of the rest of their lives. There's some, there's some pressure there, a responsibility. We're actually here at Connect on Wednesday nights, we're doing a series of small groups and one of the groups we're doing is, is on parenting. Casey and I are a part of that group and we got to have a conversation this week with some other parents and it was great because um, we hadn't planned this but this last Wednesday night we were talking all about words and the power of words with parents to kids. And the speaker in the, uh, the video, he said, what you need to remember when it comes to parenting is that not all words weigh the same. Not all words weigh the same because the source determines the weight. The source determines the weight. He was saying that as parents, someone could say something to your kids and it might affect them. But when you say it to them, there's more weight to that. You're the parent. Whether it's a negative thing or a positive thing, it carries more weight than someone else saying that. In a moment of weakness, parents may find themselves saying something like, you're so lazy, or why can't you be more like your brother? And a phrase like that from a parent carries so much more weight than anyone else. He talked about the challenge of correcting over connecting. Correcting over connecting, that as parents, our goal is to connect with our kids, to build a relationship with them to see them grow. And there are times where we need to correct them. That's the role of being a parent. But if all we ever do is correct, that can come across as a, as a negative input. And it's not wrong to correct, but as parents, how often are we looking for the opportunity to also bring some positive words? Hey, I saw what you did there. That was I saw the way you, you shared that with your brother. That was really well done. Great job. I'm so proud of you for how you handled that situation. How often is we as, are we as parents looking for, because if this ratio is true, and I believe it is, and I think actually in parents, it's even greater. How often are we looking for the one time that we may be correct, or maybe a more negative comment, versus the five times we're saying something positive, telling someone we love them. There was a guy by the name of Paul, who came after Jesus, he was, a, uh, he was actually against Jesus, didn't want to follow him at all. He was actually out persecuting the followers of Jesus. And then he had this experience, this encounter with the risen Jesus. It changed his life completely. He went from being somebody who persecuted the church to somebody who helped establish the church in the New Testament. He wrote a large part of the New Testament. His life story is incredible. The transformation is incredible. And he would write to these churches of what he'd learned about Jesus in his own life. Some wonderful, wonderful teaching. He would write to these churches and address issues that were happening in the churches in their day, but the, the truth was timeless. There was a time when he wrote to a church in Ephesus, and they were dealing with some stuff, and we're going to read in a second here what he said to the people, the Ephesians, but actually, 
I think it's just as true to us 2,000 years later. Because he said in Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He's basically saying in that short verse there, you've got two choices. There are two types of words that you can allow to come out of your mouth. Unwholesome, and that word that Paul uses there, the original Greek word, it literally means rotten or corrupted, something that decays or dies over time. Do you wanna be known as somebody who the words you speak are just rotten and corrupted that bring death? Or you've got a second option. You could be known as somebody who when you speak, your words build up, they encourage, they bring life. Paul's saying, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but instead, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs? And I love this. He doesn't say, do not let any unwholesome talk come into your mind. The truth is, there's a lot of words pop into our mind on a regular basis. When we're in encounters face-to-face with people, the people we have relationships with in our life, there's a lot of words that pop into our minds. And they're there going, say me, say me. (laughs) Say it out loud, say it out loud. But Paul's saying, not don't let these words come into your minds. He's saying, no, don't let them come out of your mouth. (laughs) Don't let those words escape your lips. Don't let those words end up on your keyboard. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But instead, let good words come out of your mouth instead. And while Paul doesn't say this specifically, the data suggests that we looked at earlier that for emotionally healthy relationships, the ratio needs to be five to one. Five to one on how many of those good words come out of our mouths. So here is my conclusion for you all this morning. Here's my challenge for you this week. Whether you're a regular attender, a connector, or whether you're just here visiting this morning for the baby dedication, I hope you'll consider joining me in this challenge. We are using more words than ever before. We're thinking less about the words we use. And our words have power. So maybe this week, let's not just work on not letting those unwholesome words come out of our mouths. That would be a good goal to try and and hold back, to try and stop the amount of unwholesome words that are coming out of our mouth. But for this week, let's work five times harder at letting the good words come out of our mouths. Five times harder at finding the words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. Don't just assume that those people in your life that you're in relationship with know how you feel. Tell them. Parents, tell your kids this week, when you see them doing something right, make sure you, you acknowledge that. Hey, I was proud of you for what you just did. I love you. Let's look for some good words to your spouse this week. Because we've got to work five times harder in that area. So I think one of the building blocks for emotionally healthy relationships is asking God to help us as his followers 
to choose the words we're going to use. I'm going to pray to close, but um, at the end of every service, we have a prayer team who are gathered here at the front. And if there's anything you'd like prayer for this morning, they're here. And, and maybe, I'm just thinking about this now, maybe you're here this morning and all this talk about words has taken you back to a situation where somebody said something to you and it still hurts to this day. There are some words that, that, that have done some damage in your life. You may need to come and say, hey, could you pray for me? Because this memory, it just, it just is right there, these, these words. I can't shake what that person says. It's almost defined who I am because of what was spoken over me. Would you pray, me, pray with me and help me break through that, that thought in my mind? Father, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for these incredible families who have joined us to uh, present their, their, their kids to you to say, God, we know we can't do this on our own. We need your help, Lord. We need the help of our church family. And this morning, as a church, Connect Church, we commit to partner with these families. And one of the ways that we can strive to be the best parents that we can be is to choose carefully the words that we speak over our kids. Lord, there are some children and some teenagers here this morning, and and one of the ways their relationship with their parents can grow is that, that they too can choose the words that they speak to their moms and their dads. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that not only would we strive to to not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but we would work five times harder to find opportunities to speak out words of life, to encourage someone, to tell someone how much they mean to us, to remind someone that we truly love them, to, to reward someone when we see them doing something right. Lord, I pray that we would be defined as people who who speak words of love and life and encouragement because of you living inside of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.